We are live on Facebook, which is great. If you're not well or you're not able to get here or whatever, you can watch it live or you can catch up. And so there will be people watching online, Gareth, which makes you something of a superstar. But then you are from Wales, so you expect that. Indeed. So, yeah, Father, thank you for your spirit that rests upon this man. Father, thank you for the brilliant mind you've given him and the communication gift that is, yeah, he's like an artist as he uses it, Father. So help him to, yeah, paint your colors into the, 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 the talk that he gives us, that we might be inspired, that we might be enlightened, and we might live for you as a result even more. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Can we have the slides up? Um, who was here for Matt's first preach on love? Great, fantastic. And do you remember he said, we were born to love? Yeah? And he got us to turn to the person next to us and say, say look in the eyes of the person and say, I was born to love. Well, I was opposite Steve Sheldon. And when he said it, I went weak at the knees. He's like a cross between Father Christmas and Barry White, isn't he? You can imagine. There's Steve Sheldon. But I'd like us to do it again. Turn to the person and just say, I was born to love. And now I want you to do something else. Simmer down. (laughs) Simmer down. We're talking about family. So I want you to do something else. Turn to the person next to you and say, I was born to love you. (laughs) That's how you make people uncomfortable. (laughs) Mission accomplished. (laughs) Let's dive into the scriptures. Love one another, being family. Little children, the Bible is full of resonance that we are a family with God, our Heavenly Father. Little children, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's a high bar. And by this will everyone know that you are my disciples. Next. And what marvelous love the Father has lavished on us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. We are his family. That's who we really are. And that's only the beginning. Who knows how we'll end up? But what we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him. And in seeing him become like him, and all of us here, in the light church, who look forward to his coming, stay ready with what? The glistening purity of Jesus' life as a model for our own. Next. And as in one family, there are many members, and not all the family members have the same function. So we, who are ready, waiting, with the glistening purity of Jesus himself as our model, We are one body, members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So here the point is, he creates a family and he gives every single one of us gifts, different gifts to be used as part of that one family. Next. 
Therefore, if we carry the glistening purity of Christ as our model, let's rid ourselves of malice, guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation. So all of us, all of us, come to Jesus, our living stone. And like living stones, let yourselves, let us, let the light church be built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For you, for we, are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are God's own people in order that we may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called us all out of darkness and into his marvellous light. It's at times like this where preachers don't want to preach because you've just been confronted with that. And you feel what I can say is just a stutter compared to the depth and the glory that we have just heard. So forgive my ramblings for a little while and I trust that God's spirit will use it to touch you. I'll take up your theme a little bit, Jane, because of Brexit, because I tried to put something in. So I think perhaps God is trying to say something there. How would you put the world right? And how would you make a beautiful world? What would you do? Is it big government? I come from an academic background where they loved, they wanted big government, where you select a group of politicians, and not just any politicians, particularly those who've never had a proper job in their lives. (laughs) And you'd get them to completely restructure society, family, education, business. Because there's this belief that we can be organized by something big into a better world. Is that your hope? On the other hand, there's perhaps a group of academics that say that what we need to do is promote entrepreneurship. Get people to release their creative juices to create the most wonderful things that we can. Throw them into a free market where we make lots of money and in that way, we'll make a wonderful world full of good things. We'll end poverty, we'll end disease. And because we're this big, huge global market, we'll be far less tribal as we all win in the lottery of the marketplace. Because everybody wins, don't they, in the lottery of the marketplace. We're all wealthy and rich and no one has any trouble at all. Where are you going to hitch your wagon? And then I thought, what does God say about how we make a better world, how we become better people, and how everything becomes wonderfully golden. And I had this image of, it's a strange one, but I thought I'd share it because I think it's useful, alchemy. Does anybody know what alchemy is? No, it's not Jeremy Corbyn's new um, economic policy. And that's not alchemy. <laughs> I'm teasing. What is alchemy? Chemistry. Chemistry. And do we know, next slide. Wonderful. A kettle that's on its way. (laughs) Early science, they believed in something very strong called alchemy, where you take the the basic elements of this world, you'd have a process, 
whatever that process might be, and you would turn those basic elements of this world by this process of alchemy into pure gold. Something that sparkles and is wonderful. Do we get the analogy? You take the basic elements of this world, you have some process here, big government, economic, whatever, you have this process here, and out the other side comes pure gold. And not only that, they believed that you could apply those principles to the very human soul. That you could take hold of a person and through a bit of jiggery-pokery and a particular process, out the other side would come something completely pure and golden and sparkling. They completely failed on both counts. And that's why I'm going to use that as an analogy. <laughs> but I thought, what would God do to make a beautiful world, to make wonderful people? What would his process be whereby he takes the basic elements of who we are and what the world is and what this church is and what process, how does he turn us into something precious, like a precious stone, something golden? And I came to the conclusion that there's two absolutely fundamental key ingredients amongst many others. Can we guess what they are? Love and grace. Could be. That's one of them, definitely in God's alchemy pot. Next, I thought there has to be relationships of love. That's how we're going to get put right. That's how the world is going to be made a better place. It's relationships of love. Do you remember we talked about that scripture about using Jesus as our model of how we can glisten, sparkle with the purity of God's love? That's what I want us to do this morning. So let's look at God first and how he comes out to us relationally. And the first thing we know that God is inherently relational. That's the very nature of who he is. That's the essence of the doctrine of the Trinity. God is all about relationships with what he has made. The first image I want to take from that is, I love Genesis 1 to 3. I love Genesis 1 and 2. I think it's fantastic. And there in Genesis, we have this image of God. And what does he do? He takes the dust of the earth, the bare elements, and he starts to mold them and shape them into the likes of you and me. Then what does he do? He breathes into it. And all of a sudden, it sparkles with life. God takes the basic elements of this world, you and me. What does he do? He shames them into the form of humanity. He breathes his spirit into them. And what happens? They scintillate with life. And that scintillation of life and that relational, it's not just for any old purpose. It's for the purpose of making the world sparkle with life itself. Do we understand that? God makes life to bring life. God makes you, me, fills us with his spirit to what? Make life. Not necessary to win on the stock exchange. But to bring life. So the first image we have of this relational God of love, he makes life to bring life. The second image we have is, I love this, Genesis 3. It said, Adam and Eve heard the sound of God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. That's the New Revised Standard Version. 
Adam and Eve heard God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. Compared to other stories, at the same time of what the gods were like, that would have been totally alien. That God himself would come down into our space and walk with us in the cool of the evening breeze. That's exactly what God would not do. He was all-powerful. He controlled everything. And you were completely and utterly and totally insignificant. The last place he'd want to be is with you Muppets. I know how he feels. (laughs) Stop. I know how quickly hatred can spring up. Brexit. Think of Brexit. That's the last thing the gods would do. But we have our God coming down and walking with us. Then in John 14, Jesus takes up this theme and he says, Behold, I am going to send the paraclete. Do do we know what the paraclete is? The Holy Spirit. Brilliant. The Holy Spirit. And do we know what the word paraclete means? Helper? Advocate, we have them. We have them all very, very quickly. This is an educated church, Matt. Isn't it? And it's a northern church. An educated northern church. It's it's a privilege to be here. (laughs) God, Jesus said, the Spirit is going to come. And he is now going to dwell with you. He's going to be constantly present with you. Someone who is going to comfort you and aid you and work on your behalf as the divine advocate. So here we have God. He makes life and breathes life into it, a scintillating sparkle. And the other thing God does is he comes and he dwells amongst us permanently to bring us comfort and aid and to advocate on our behalf. Are we getting the picture of the love of God? Third one is, it's arbitrary, I've picked it, but it's the good shepherd. God makes and brings life. He walks alongside to comfort and aid. And the Lord, out of love, is our shepherd. And we shall not want. What does he do? He makes us to lie down in green pastures. Where does he lead us? What does he do? He restores our... And I think this concept of soul there means every single thing about us, not some disembodied metaphysical concept drawn from Neoplatonism. Every single thing about us, he comes to resource. He makes us walk in paths of... And righteousness there means that the paths are good in every way imaginable. There's nothing bad about them. They bless you and they bless everything else you're around. He makes us to walk in paths of righteousness. And even though... We walk through the valley of the shadow of the paraclete, the one who walks in the garden at the sound of the evening breeze. Where is he? Having a nap somewhere? He's with us. He's with us. His rod and his staff, they are comforting us. He prepares a table for us in the presence of those that just want to tear down everything we do. He anoints our heads with oil. He commissions us. We are a royal priesthood, a holy family. He anoints our heads with oil. He commissions us for works of service. 
And what happens to our cup? Do we, our cup, do we look inside and, oh, it's like being at a party with a, a very stingy friend. Oh, thanks for the, the wine. Who put this in? And who took it out? What is our cup? What happens to our cup? He anoints us and our cup overflows. And as a result, with that kind of person in our lives, surely what goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives and we will dwell in God's temple forever. Amen. Amen. That is the relational God of love who breathes into us to bring life, who dwells with us to aid and comfort, and who seeks to nurture and protect and comfort so that we can be led in paths of righteousness. So what's this got to do with family? I remember the first time I met Heather's family. It's good she's not here today. I met Heather's family, and we had a little family photograph. So here's the photograph of Heather's family there. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this Heather there in the pigtails, full of color and love. I'd love to say lots of jokes about this, but she wouldn't let me. Suffice it to say, I always used to turn up with a lot of garlic. Um, second point. I'll never forget the day I, in, I introduced Heather's family to my family. And this is what the response to my family was. <laughs> They're a lovely bunch. They're a lovely bunch. As you can see, there's a lot of in my family. But it was a little bit tense. Because they'd never, ever seen people turn into bats before. And it was just a little bit much. So God... Why have I done this? Where am I going with it? Can I redeem myself? Is there any chance? A few people shaking their heads. Guys, the point I want to make is when we say the word family, we can conjure up all sorts of images in our head. I know for people here, family has been tricky. It's not been an easy ride, is it? We know the testimonies from people here that their family was a bit of a shocker. And we know sometimes that in families it's difficult, and when you bring families together who are so different, sometimes sparks can fly. So what does God choose to do? This is the miracle. And this is where the analogy works. He wants to take people who are so very, very different, some of which are holding spears and want to kill each other. And what does he say? I'm going to use these people to put the world right. That's what he's going to do. He's going to take these raw, broken elements of the world, some of which are at war against each other, and he's going to take these elements and he's going to reveal his love to turn them into something that is going to sparkle and radiate with the goodness and the joy of him so that everything can be brought together. Everything can find shalom. All that is broken can be healed. He started with Abraham, and he's been adding members to his family ever since. And we here, as we've turned and looked at one another and said, I was born to love you, we are that family now, here, with each other, and in Bradford. And God has chosen us to be a royal priesthood, 
He's chosen us to be drawn and pulled together like living stones so that we can be built up through love into a temple where everybody's gifts can be discovered. Everybody's gifts can be revealed so that we can live by righteousness, i.e. we can make everything good for us and everything good for the people that we come into contact with. Are we seeing God's divine alchemy at work? This is what he does. Next slide. And I think this is one thing I want to challenge us as an individualistic society about, is that in fact it's only in a loving family do we as individuals become who God calls us to be. Our culture is one of the epic adventure, isn't it? Our own personal self-realization. Have you heard that language? I will climb the mountains for me to become the greater me. Whereas God says, I don't mind you climbing mountains, they're brilliant things. But if you think you're going to become everything you want to be by climbing mountains and having epic journeys just for your own personal self-development, you're missing the ball. You're going to become what God has called you to be by being part of a family where you start to be bound together and work together as living stones so you become something far, far greater than you could ever be on your own. And so to close, that only happens if we love one another. That's the only way it's going to happen. We must love one another. And I want to challenge us with those three elements of God as how we as a church start to love one another. I think we've got to be convicted and committed to look at somebody and want to come alongside them so that they can flourish and find life and scintillate with the purity of Jesus' life as a model. I think we have to be committed to look at someone and our first impulse is how can I do something in your life which can help you scintillate with the radiance of Jesus' glory. We have to look at the other and pour ourselves in, not to self-interest. The second thing, we've got to be like the divine paraclete. We need to be present to each other. I'm a little bit of an introvert, it's a bit of a challenge. But God says, I'm not going to flourish in my own little internal world. I'm going to flourish by somehow being joined together with you as living stones to become a temple where God's glory is shown. We have to be present to each other. And what's the purpose of presence? To comfort, to aid, and restore, and to work on your behalf. And the third thing, taking lessons from the model of Jesus of the Good Shepherd, we need to seek to nurture and comfort and restore and lead people to places where they can be fed and watered. We need to protect one another. And the other big image I find is when we read Jesus talk about the Good Shepherd, what do they do? They actually take risks to save. It's so dramatic that part of us needs to take the risk to step out for one another to the point of shedding your own blood in the case of Jesus Christ. 
final slide. I believe the relational God of love calls us to image him as we seek to bring life out of each other, as we seek to be present, and as we seek to be good shepherds. So to close, I just want us to think about that. How can we nurture an impulse to love? How can we nurture an impulse to come alongside? And how can we nurture an impulse to be a good shepherd to those around us? Matt. Great. Um, two questions. Number one, what have you learnt from Gareth that's going to shape the way you think? And number two, what might you do differently as a result of what you've just heard? I'm going to give you five minutes to discuss it with the person next to you. Okay? Just a bit of time to process it because if you talk about it, you're more likely to do something about it. So just five minutes, then we're going to finish with another song. What may it be if you learn, or what, what might you do differently as a result? <laughs>